0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and this book that we're learning so much from, and we pray that you would just speak to us this day. I believe you have something for everyone in the room this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would make it clear to each of us. This God-breathed Scripture that we just read, would you settle it on our heart and enable us to see you and your purposes clearly, and enable us to respond for your glory. Lord, give me strength and clarity and focus, and give us all ears to hear what you are saying to us today. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Fill us all with your Spirit to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this passage of Scripture is almost all application. So sometimes we preach passages of Scripture that are all about God and have no application directly. They don't tell us to do anything. They just tell us about God. And so in those situations, sometimes the application is stand in awe. We read something amazing about God. This is all application. So when there's like a running application, here's my recommendation. Uh, Don't listen to everything I'm about to say and then try to do at all? Well, you wouldn't, because if you're a man and it's speaking to women, you wouldn't do those parts, I'm sure. But uh, don't, don't try to do that. Try to hear this and select one thing that you feel God's speaking to you to respond to. Just do one thing, and at the end, I'm going to remind you of that. So it'd be great to take some notes, but if you just wrote, you know, thumbed into your phone or wrote one thing down that God spoke to you, I think that would be redemptive and, and uh, hopeful with this message. Okay, let me start with a vision. Uh, Not a literal vision, but a picture. I want you to imagine the following scenario uh, with me. I want you to see a guy, a lazy, sedentary guy in his Lazy Boy with his feet propped up, um, the picture of uh, just laziness. And this guy in his Lazy Boy has a cigarette hanging from his lips. He has... A bottle of whiskey, he's drinking straight out of the bottle, uh, whiskey. On his left leg, he has a Costco-size, huge jumbo tub of ice cream. And he is putting his hand in it and feeding himself handfuls of ice cream between puffs and between swigs. On his right hand is a platter of Food. It is fried euphoria. There is fried chicken on the platter. There is a stack of bacon like you've never seen on the platter. There are cheeseburgers on the platter. And so, between puffs and between swigs and between handfuls of ice cream, he is ingesting the grease that is on the other platter. And imagine his bacon and his cheeseburgers and his fried chicken are all dipped in the large bowl of cream gravy in the center that he has before he eats. So he is smoking, he is drinking, he is fattening it up big time. And then you notice in the scene he is reading a book. The book is entitled, Healthy Living Through Healthy Nutrition. What would you think about that picture? Something is wrong because here is a guy who is reading and maybe even believing in healthy living. He's studying, thinking, considering, and yet his actions are a complete 180 of what he is reading. He has healthy reading, but he doesn't have healthy living. He may even have healthy believing, believing what's in the book and, lacking healthy living. This is a little bit about what's going on and what God's concern is in the Crete, in this church, through Titus. If you look in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, Titus. And He is not only to teach sound doctrine, he is to teach what accords with it, and then he's going to give him a list of what that looks like in life. So here's sound doctrine, teach it, but also teach what accords with it, because there's sound living that goes with it. And if you look at the word uh, sound, you'll see a footnote at the bottom of the page, it means healthy not healthy, I know I use an analogy about a healthy body, which is a subset of, you know, godliness, but not the major part of godliness. It's not what I'm talking about there. But healthy study, healthy doctrine leads to healthy living, healthy godliness. And that's not what's happening with the false teachers in Crete. Look one verse earlier in 1.16. He says, they, the false teachers, profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So there's these false teachers in Crete. They're saying, hey, we're teaching truth, but their lives are completely out of whack. And he says, don't be like them, but as for you. So they're going to teach one thing and live this terrible lifestyle. But as for you, you teach sound doctrine, you live a godly lifestyle, and you train the church, you teach the church these truths. What we've been talking about in this series is that grace produces godliness. That right doctrine, that is right Bible truth, by doctrine I just mean what the Bible teaches, right Bible teaching believing the good news of the grace of God, what Christ has done for us, leads to a certain way of living. It leads to godliness. The ESV study Bible says this about the letter to Titus. It says this is the primary concern of the letter, right? Doctrine leads to right behavior. And so that is his concern. Now, last week, Jeff made the excellent point that we are converted to faith and we are saved, we are converted by Jesus alone, by faith in Christ alone, not Jesus plus anything. So we don't become a Christian by believing and by doing all kinds of things. Once we are a Christian, we become a believer, the Spirit of God lives in us. And the Spirit of God begins to change us and make us more like Christ. And the Spirit of God working in us as we read the Scripture and apply it and He teaches us, the Spirit of God begins to begins to lead us to act godly, to live a different lifestyle. And so Paul's concerned for this new church. This is a brand new church. They don't even have pastors or elders in this church yet. And in this brand new church, he wants to make sure that the grace which they received is leading to godliness. Because here's what their culture's like. Chapter 1, verse 12. It says that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's what one of their prophets said about them. That's not Paul. That's what one of their own people said. Here's who we are. This is what we're all about. We are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Let's all vacation in Crete. I mean, these are the people. This is what they're like. And so he's saying, now you have believed the grace of God. So that means there's going to be a godliness that's going to be reflected through you that will make you look different. And so he starts by appointing elders. Pete preached on that excellent message two weeks ago. He starts by appointing leaders who believe the gospel and are living godly lives and can serve as an example. And then now he's going to work his way through various groupings of people in the church. And he's going to say, this is what godliness looks like in older men. This is what godliness looks like in older women. This is what godliness looks like in young men and young women. Because they've tasted grace. They've been saved, not by their actions, by the work of Christ. And now Christ is going to work through them so their life honors Jesus so that their life is loving towards other Christians, so that their life is a testimony, and example to the world. That's a big, big point in uh, in this letter. So that's what he's going to do. Now, godliness, I want to say this because we're going to talk about gender stuff here. Godliness is generally general. I mean, godliness shows up in all people who are Christians by the fruit of the Spirit, for instance. It says it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, the fruit of the Spirit in men is, and the fruit of the Spirit in women is. It just says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. So the Spirit produces a general kind of a person um, once he's active in their life. But the Bible doesn't shy away what our culture shies away from, making gender distinctions so the Bible doesn't shy away from making uh, identifying differences in gender role wh- roles while still saying men and women are equal are equal in value, equal in dignity, equal before the Lord. There's no difference in their value to the God, to God, but there's difference in roles. So the Bible does make distinctions in church and home with men and women. And the Bible doesn't shy away from saying there's certain character qualities that older men or older women could represent that Show the grace of God that demonstrate godliness to the church. So it's just not a problem for the scripture to talk that way. So we want to emphasize general godliness, which is most of the Bible, but also passages which identify either young or old, or male or female. We want to identify, yeah, those are special ways that God works through young people. Those are special ways that God works through women to demonstrate his grace and uh, through their lives. So here's what he starts with. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, if you've been around the block and uh, in conservative church circles, like I have and like I am, uh, conservative, what we call complementarian uh, church circles, this chapter, Titus 2, is often used as a shorthand or a lingo to speak about uh, women's discipleship, discipling women, or mentoring women, or even women's ministry. And I just want to note that he starts with older men is where he starts, not women. And so I've used this kind of lingo, and I certainly heard it a lot, to just say, yeah, like a Titus 2 ministry. Well, what's a Titus 2? Well, Titus 2 is women, you know, mentoring, teaching, training women. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But I used to say that. It's just a shorthand. Oh, yeah, it's kind of a Titus 2 type of a thing they're doing there. It's a couple ladies helping each other, whatever. And I used to talk that way. And um, until I met a guy who was a ministry leader, and he was a new guy. He led this ministry. Uh, it, this was years ago. I mean, this might have been eight years, ten years, I don't know. When I lived in San Diego, and I met this guy. And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, I lead a ministry. This guy, and remember what I'm thinking of this passage. And I said, what ministry you lead? He said, I lead, I lead a ministry called Titus II. I was like, whoa, easy there, fella. You, you teach younger women. I was saying, what what are you doing? I didn't really know. And then I went back and read Titus 2, and I said, yeah, women are mentioned in there, but he starts with men. This guy had a ministry that trained men to help other men and women to help other women. So all that to say, this is a broad chapter that teaches the roles of men, the roles of women in the church, and what kind of godliness can emanate from their life. So we certainly can use a phrase like Titus 2 to refer to this passage on women, but we could use that to refer to the passage on men as well. Don't want to be overly narrow when the Scripture is not overly narrow on what this chapter is all about. Okay, here's what he says. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. Well, first of all, what's an older man? I'm not sure. I mean, I read a number of things about in this culture, of, of when this was written, what an older man was. I guess part of what I'd say is it's a bit relative in application. So if you're in a church and the oldest person in the church is 30, then I guess 28 is an older guy. You know, uh, we're a church with people that have first through the 30 barrier and the 40 barrier and the 50 and 60. So we got plenty of people that are older in our church. We have older men. So I'm not going to give you an age, but, um, but it's guys who are, you know, a bit older, a bit more seasoned in life. They've, they've moved through some of the life earlier life stages of adulthood. And uh, so they are seasoned guys. In the church. And he says, here's what these guys are supposed to be like. When the grace of God apprehends them, here's how it'll show up. Here's what their character should be. They should be sober minded. That is, they should be temperate. They should be somewhat serious, not flippant or light. They should be weighty. I'm not talking about their girth, but their character. They should be weighty. They shouldn't be uh, light and wispy. If you were at man-to-man, we had a great man-to-man meeting here on Wednesday night. Bob Hughes, who was in the first service, that I did identify him as an older man, which he echoed back in the middle of the sermon. But uh, but so he's an older guy, and um, he taught that meeting, and he taught us some great things. But one of the things he taught us, he was teaching through Psalm 1. You can get the message on the city, guys, if you couldn't be there. I'd recommend recommend it. But he was saying that, the scripture makes us substantive. So he was asking, he said to the, all us in the room, he said, are you light? Or do you have some substance to you? When you talk to your friends, do you engage substantively or is it all trivia? And so he was challenging us to have some substance. And a sober-minded person has substance. They're clear-headed. Not only that, but they're to be dignified. Now, that doesn't mean stuffy. I don't know. I was thinking, what does dignified mean? Well, it doesn't mean just some British guy in a cardigan smoking a pipe somewhere saying, indubitably, or something like that. We think, that's, that's dignified. Well, not at all. You can be an older man, you can be dignified in wearing jeans. Not skinny jeans, that's not dignified for an older man. That's not dignified, that's a nightmare for an older man in skinny jeans. But you can wear jeans... You don't have to have on a cardigan and a tie and, you know, be whatever. Uh, that, that digni- dignified isn't just like, what do you, you know, what do you externally look like? I mean, it could relate, but that's not what it ultimately means. It means someone who is honorable. He's dignified. He carries himself in an honorable way. He doesn't trash his witness by the things he, he says and does. It doesn't mean he's no fun. I think he'd be an older man who's sober-minded and still... Enjoyable, I think you can be dignified and still enjoyable and still relatable, but it just means there 's something of a sobriety about him in an appropriate way sober minded dignified you know what here 's one of the reasons I think older men who know the Lord why this shows up in their life, why there is the Holy Spirit works a sobriety and a, a dignity in them, uh, One reason is because they have a lot of experience and they know what life's all about from the school of hard knocks oftentimes. So there's a wisdom about them. Secondly, the older you get, you start looking at the, you know, the age charts or whatever the, uh, you know, what, that actuaries produce and say, you know, here's your average lifespan. You start going, wow, the number's shrinking. As I get older, I've got less time. And someone who realizes the brevity of life, there's wisdom when we recognize the brevity of life. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, 12, I think it is. And so you can be young and wise. You can be young and say, I don't have long. But the reality is most 13-year-olds, most 23-year-olds, many 33-year-olds even, aren't thinking that, man, I've got a little bit of time. You're thinking my whole life's in front of me. And maybe it is. Maybe it's not. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, are we? So older men have a, have a sober-mindedness to them, a temperance to them, a sobriety to them, because they realize oftentimes that life is short and they want every day to count. They want to invest themselves in what's important. So that's the way an older man ought to think about life. He also is to be self-controlled. Teach the older men to be dignified, sober, and self-controlled. Part of being mature whatever age we are, part of being mature is that we have self-control over our impulses, over our impulses and desires. That a mature person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, regulates their sinful impulses and desires by the power of the Spirit and doesn't give in as a lifestyle to a lack of self-control. So that's what these guys are to be like. Secondly, teach the older men to be Sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. So the first was really maturity, that first triad of character qualities. The second is kind of like be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Faith is faith towards God. So teach the men in the church, the older men, to be setting an example, to be trusting Christ. The grace of God should be producing this in them. They've got a sound faith in God, a trust in the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the reliability of God. And they've got a track record of life that demonstrates his faithfulness so they can trust God. And they're to be loving. That's others-oriented. So have the older men get away from selfishness. A lot of of times the temptation of young, young people is to be very... Self-aware and self-oriented. Maturity means I'm others-oriented. So mature guys, older guys should be loving others and they should keep doing it. They should be steadfast. They should continue in faith. They should continue loving others and being steadfast. And that will have a ripple effect in the life of the church. So this is a real blueprint for building a sound church. He says to Timothy, I mean, to Titus, get some elders, get someone to lead. They're supposed to be a certain way. They're supposed to hold on to the gospel. They're supposed to be apt to teach others. They're supposed to defend the gospel. They're supposed to understand false teaching. They're supposed to be courageous to deal with false teaching and they're to live and look a certain way. That's chapter one. Now he's saying godliness is to have a ripple effect in the life of the church. And so make sure the older men know this is what God wants of them, calls them to, requires of them. And this is how God will work through them in the life of the church. And a church that has men like this, that are older men, is a blessed church. And so let me just say, Grace Church, we're a blessed church because we have some older men in our church like this. We have some older men in the church that are like this. And these kind of guys are stabilizing in a church. These kind of guys are foundational in a church so that when challenges come to the life of the church and some younger, less experienced, less mature people, well, freak out, it's good to have the this, this stabilizing effect of the older man with self-control, the older man who's sober-minded, the older man who is dignified, and trusting god who is who is sound in trust of god who's loving others who has a history of steadfastness and perseverance that guy comes in and when his voice speaks it brings a clarity and a calm in the life of the church because he's he's weighty he's got some history not not that a young person couldn't reflect these same character qualities they should and could they could and should but this is what grace works in them they're stabilizing foundational guys So, guys, thanks for older men in our church. Thank you for the way you live your lives and demonstrate that. Next, he goes to older women. So you are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. So teach the older women to be reverent in behavior. Verse 3, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So the older women are to be reverent. That is to to have a holiness of attitude, an awe for God, a fear of the Lord. So ensure the older women are are sober-minded and dignified as well as just saying it a different way. They're to be reverent. And what does it mean for an older woman? What does it mean for her to be reverent? What does it mean for the grace of God to work through her and produce godly reverence? He gives two examples. She shouldn't give herself to slander. She shouldn't give herself to too much wine. Now, I want to say that those two comparisons of reverence, man, culturally, it's just really different. I read that in Crete, people had respect for heavy drinkers. So, you know, I guess if an older lady could hold her liquor, everybody said, you go. I mean, they respected her or something, I don't know. But in our culture and in the church, we wouldn't compare these kind of things. We'd put these in two different categories, probably. I'd put them in two categories about myself. I mean, I'd have, I think, a level of conviction and concern about me personally just going out and getting plastered drunk tonight. But I wouldn't think twice about walking into the lobby and passing on a slanderous report to you about someone. I might think twice, but I wouldn't think of it in the same category at all. See, someone said, uh, Brian Chappell in his commentary said that the word slander here, it, it means malicious gossip. That she's not to give herself, she's to be reverent, fearing the Lord, she's not to give herself to malicious gossip. That, that she's not to be motivated with a craving or desire to read about people, to hear about people, and to pass on reports about people that she's not involved with or responsible for. That that doesn't reflect godliness. That doesn't reflect holiness of life. She, she, as an older woman, is not to not only pass on malicious reports, not only pass on criticizing reports of others. I believe you could go to the heart issue and say, she shouldn't even desire or crave that. Real godliness is this. Lord, I trust you. I'd add this, i got enough problems of my own, in my own life, that I want to trust you with the responsibilities and the people that you've called me to interact with and be responsible for. And I don't want to be concerned with malicious gossip reports about someone else and passing them on in an unproductive way that defames that person's reputation or their status in the small group or in the church or wherever. I don't even want that. I want to be about what you've called me to. That's reverence. The other is a crazing, craving to be a busybody. It is a craving that I must know. And I must not only know, but there's a little bit of usually thrill when I hear something bad about someone else. And sometimes that's because I feel better about myself when I hear something bad about someone else. And I not only want to be craving to be in the know, but I want to, be, I want to die to the craving of be the one who does know and has the scoop to pass on. It's irreverent, it's unholy, it's ungodly. And so he says, older women, don't, don't live that way. That's not sober. That doesn't honor the Lord. Why does he tie that with don't drink too much wine? Because they're both self-control issues. Older women, he says, teach the older women that the grace of God will give them self-control so they don't speak inappropriately in ways that hinder others or hinder the church or hinder their own family. They could slander their husband, their kids, their friends, whoever. So they don't tear down with their words by passing on malicious gossip, and they don't tear down by abusing alcohol. Now, because that was such a cultural thing there, we might be able, it doesn't say this, so I want to be careful here, but we might be able to put in other enslaving addictions as well. Prescription drugs, food, other enslaving things that control us. So don't give yourself over to things that control you. I mean, the phrase is slaves to wine. Don't give yourself over to being enslaved by other things. Have self-control with your words. Have self-control with your appetites. So don't use your tongue to speak bad things. What does he say instead? They are to, verse 3, teach what is good. So teach the older ladies, oh, yeah, they should be talking. They should just be talking and speaking what is good that we're going to see here. Train the young women. So how do they train the young women? Well, first of all, by their example. They're not given over to enslaving habits. They control their speech. So, So first of all, their example is going to be training Uh, But secondly, they are to teach them and train them some specific things. See, older women have a key place in the life of the church. And he's highlighting them. He's saying, teach them to train. They have something to pass on. They are a valuable resource. As a matter of fact, he says, teach teach these women these things to have self-control, but they're to train the younger women. He's saying, Titus, you go train the older men, you go train the older women, you go train the young men, he's about to say, but the older women, they're the ones who are going to train the younger women. Maybe in a number of reasons for that may have been inappropriate for Titus to be going out and getting coffee with a young mom to talk with her. There's temptation about that that's inappropriate, an appearance that's inappropriate. He also doesn't know anything about being a mom, so that could be an issue as well uh, where the older women do. So the older women play this very key role in the life of the church. And uh, again, I'm thankful to be in a church with a lot of godly women. We have women that pray. We have women that give their lives in praying for others, serving others, teaching and training others. We have women who have a long track record of being a, um, a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. Godly people. So we're we're rich. I just feel our church has been really blessed by having a number of women who live this way. But he's saying, make sure this is a priority. He goes on to say, have them teach the younger women what is good and to train them, verse 4, to train the young women to love their husbands and children. So he said something to the older men. He said something to the older women. Now he's saying something to the young women. That they are to be trained by older women to love their husbands and love their children children. So is the younger women in the church, uh, some of them may be single, and so the training that happens with him, there's other categories she mentions here, to be pure, to be self-controlled, um, to be working at home, to be kind. So there are other things to train women in. Uh, single women are to be trained as well. Single women have a key place in the life of the church as well. Uh, what he Kind of highlights on here, though, is of all the callings of women, and women have a lot of callings. By callings, the word calling and vocation mean the same thing. It means places that God places you with opportunities, privileges, and responsibilities, I'd say. So if you think about the women in the room, there are all kinds of callings. Many of the women in the room, you're a sister, so you have a calling to be a sibling. You are a daughter, if your parents are living, then you have a calling to, in an ongoing way, be a daughter to your parents. Uh, you're a neighbor. You live somewhere, single or married. You live in an apartment complex or in a neighborhood or somewhere, so you have a calling as a neighbor. You may have a calling as someone who's involved in the community. You do community service, so that's a calling. Um, you may have employment outside of your home, so that's a calling that you have. Uh, you're a friend, so you have all kinds of callings. But he, he centers on these two general priority callings that apply to married women uh, in particular here, Uh, and he says they are to be trained to love their husbands and their children. They're to train to love their husbands and their children. So if you are a married woman in the room, a younger married woman, woman, God has a lot to say to you from the word in all of your callings in life. There's lots of verses and lots of application. But here, he's saying a priority calling is your calling to love your husband and your calling to love your children. This is central. And if you want to think about godliness, if you're a married woman, this is the place where you start. And if you want to learn how to do that, he's got a great prescription, which we'll talk about in a minute, but that is to learn from an older woman. Learn from an older woman. He says, also teach the women to be self-controlled, verse 5. They're also to be taught to be pure. Um, that may refer to sexual purity, so that may refer to being self-controlled. They're to be, they're to be uh, righteous and holy, both physically. They're to be faithful sexually to their husbands, and also mentally. Uh, they're to be faithful uh, to their husbands in their heart and with their, with their minds, to be pure there as well. Next he says to teach them to be working at home. The NIV says to be busy at home. Uh, one paraphrase translated, to be a home lover. So older women train the younger women to be a home lover, to be busy, to be working, to be active in their home. At the parenting seminar, a few weeks, uh, time's blurred to me. I don't remember what it was, two weeks ago or something. We had a parenting seminar one time this year, about a week or two ago at this church. And uh, so they had a Q&A time and someone asked me a question uh, or asked the panel a question. And the question had to do, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it had to do with women, with moms, because it was a parenting seminar, moms working out of the home. And, and what does the Bible say about that? And I said, hold on, because we're going to talk about that when we get to Titus. And here's generally what we said, that the Bible in situations like this gives us biblical principles and people are to apply those principles and will end up with differing practices at times. So that's what we said. But here's what it says here, and I think this is important. Does this passage forbid work outside the home for a, uh, this would be for a wife and a mother, uh, given that it says they're to be trained to be busy at home? Well, the short answer to that would be no, the Bible does not forbid work outside of the home for a wife or a mother. And a text I would give you to look at would be, tight, uh, would be uh, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 where the lady in that text is oriented towards her home. That is what she gives herself to. But she's also doing things like buying a field. So she's doing real estate transactions, and she didn't buy that field on the Internet in her living room. She went out and cut a deal with somebody somewhere. So she is, she has some form of activity of work and even of income in that situation outside of her home. So the Bible doesn't teach that there is a single practice on this that is acceptable or not acceptable. Here's what I think the Bible teaches is the priority of a wife and mother's calling. So he says, teach them to be, to love their husbands and to love their wives, and then to be busy, to be home lovers, to be workers at home. Why does it say to be workers at home? Because in her list of callings, a priority is to love her husband and to love her children. And the venue at which she loves cares, counsels, trains in the case of her children relates the venue, the primary venue that those callings express themselves relationally is in her home. I think the theme of this passage is more relational. This is not talking about who does the vacuuming. Everyone should be doing the vacuuming in the home. If the wife and the mother wants to do it, great, that's fine. Everyone should be doing the vacuum. This isn't about doing the vacuuming, uh, be busy at home. I think it's about her priority of her relations. If doing the vacuuming is an expression of loving her husband and her children, then so be it. But it is doing everything that she can... To express love to her husband, express love to her children. Look at the next statement after being busy at home or working at home. It's to be kind. She's to be expressing relational kindness. She's to be giving of herself in her home, managing a home, caring for a home. Providing for a home, whatever's involved in all of that, as an expression of the primary calling to love her husband and to love her children. So there's no simple answer on what about work outside the home. The simple answer is what's the priority and focus? And here's my experience is that different stages of life, different women have more bandwidth or availability to do different things. The priority is the home. So at some stages of life, the priority remains a home. And there's some other things happening too, working outside the home. At other times, some women make the choice, man, I can't love my husband and love my children the way I feel called to the Lord and have other responsibilities outside my home with regard to work. So this is a season where I'm focusing here. So it's just not an easy black and white. It's seasonal. It's what's the lady? Where does her husband say? Where are they at? But the clear thing we can say is the principle is in Proverbs 31 and here that her priority orientation is the calling relationally she has to her husband and her children and for the, the oversight and care of her home. And then decisions are to be made between her and her husband uh, beyond that. So that's how I'd answer that question from the, Parenting seminar uh, today. So, if if that's like not controversial enough, let's just read on and say that she is also verse five to be uh, self-controlled, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. We don't want one landmine. Let's let's have another one. So there we go. What does it mean she is supposed to be submissive to their own husbands? A few things. It's to their own husbands. It doesn't say this woman is to be submissive to all men. It says that she's to be submissive to her own husband. So this priority relationship, older women help the younger women value this priority relationship of her husband. Uh, There's five times in the New Testament that language like submission or respect is used with regard to the wife's relationship with the husband. Five times. This isn't isolated. Now, what you see in some of the other passages is you see the husband's role as well. So like in Ephesians 5, she's called to respect her husband, uh, and he's called to love her as Christ loves the church. So he has the responsibility to sacrifice, to love, to lay down his life. She has the responsibility to come alongside with support, with respect, uh, with help. Uh, she's a helper, fit for him, suitable for him. And she's to come alongside him as he's laying down his life for her. And it's a picture of the gospel. That's the purpose of marriage, to reflect Christ's love for the church and the church's relationship with Christ and this union relationship. Christ and the church are in union. Husband and wife are in union. And uh, the husband is leading and sacrificing, his wife is complimenting him, not like I like your shirt, but coming alongside, complimenting like that is what I mean. Though, if you like your shirt, say that too, that's helpful, I suppose. But so that's what, that's the relationship. This word submission means to arrange under. She's to arrange under her calling with her husband to love her husband. What does that mean? Man, that sounds so dated. Does that mean like she is to suppress her gifts? Is she to squelch her talents? Is she to limit her intelligence and act dumb even though her IQ is higher than her husband's? Is she to you know, hold in her personality and be submissive and quiet and never say anything or have an opinion? It does not mean that. To arrange under and to submit and to respect and to love her husband's means, husband singular, her, is to mean just the opposite that she's not to suppress her gifts she's to leverage her gifts she is to leverage her talents she is to steward her intelligence she is to use her personality to benefit her husband to benefit her children to contribute to the family to contribute all that God has made her in this marriage relationship to reflect the glory of God and to be a blessing and most importantly a testimony of grace because what does he say here? He says that if they should be submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled, but that it may be attractive ultimately. That's what she's supposed to do. She doesn't minimize. It's not a picture of a doormat. It's a picture of a vital person full of gifts in life, full of contributions that her husband does not have, that he needs from her, and things she does not have that she needs from him. And she comes under in a submissive way, recognizing his spiritual leadership in the relationship and comes together with him so that as companions in life and ministry, they have a power to be fruitful with the gospel in a way that they wouldn't have alone. So it is a coming under, arranging under to express love. Now, I really must say this, because if you're new, this could be misunderstood. It is not an unconditional submission. So when would she be required not to submit to her husband? Well, if her husband requires things of her that, or or forbids things that God requires. So if she ever gets to a place where she's called to obey God, or, or follow her husband, submit to her husband's counsel, she must follow God. And that could be real in a pagan society like this where the gospel's coming. The husband may say, no, you can't read the Bible to his wife in this situation. She must, she must obey God. So it's not unconditional. She must not submit if her husband requires her or leads her or asks her to sin against her conscience. She may not. And secondly, she is not required to submit when to do so uh, harms her in, in a case of abuse or something like that. She's to be not submissive, but protected in that circumstance. So if she is being physically abused, she, uh, that, that's criminal. She is not to submit to physical abuse, but she is to be protected by civil authorities who deal with lawbreakers like that. If she is being uh, harmed in some way that's not criminal or threatening to her person physically, it's not criminal... Her husband's a jerk and he is hindering her. He is, you know, whatever it could be. He's angry. He's um, manipulative, whatever, whatever it is. Then she is to be helped by the church. So it's not a submission where she is vulnerable without any recourse or help. There is civil recourse if she's being, if, if he's sinning against her criminally and there's church support. And there's church recourse if he is acting in a way that is harmful to her and derelict of his responsibilities, then there's uh, church comes alongside and helps her in both cases, but in that way. So it's not an uncom- unconditional submission. Those situations are obviously more rare, but I want to I highlight that so I'm not misunderstood here today. So she does all this so that the word of God may not be reviled. Um, Older women helping the younger women, training, teaching, modeling. Some of this training could be formal. I think a lot of it's informal. Um, To love their husbands, love their children, be self-controlled, pure, working, at home, kind, submissive. You you get the picture. All of these things, both for single women who may be preparing for marriage that are younger, and married women and uh, mothers who are younger. Uh, we as a church want to take this seriously and want to take it more seriously in the life of our church. A number of years ago, we did minist- a number of ministry things for women in the church. We do you know, monthly women's groups, but we used to do a number of other things. And then more recently, we focused on man-to-man. But I did want to just communicate in light of this scripture that we are doing—well, uh, not we, they. I'm not in it, but they are doing a number of things— um, In early 2013, for women in our church, which will help along these lines, women to you know, help one another grow in the Lord. One of the things in in, uh, in January they're having a ladies' night with a number of things. Details are coming. All this, I don't know all the details, but uh, but people do who should know, and they're going to inform us on this. So that's coming in January. Later in the spring, there's going to be a women's retreat uh, for our women to be able to just get away and encourage and build up and help one another in the ways that are reflected in the scripture. And in between those, the January event and the spring event, there's going to be a uh, in February and March where uh, church will be taking. Kind of doing a pilot program where we're going to have some older women, pastors' wives, that are going to be doing a pilot program with some younger women, um, both married and single, would be able to participate in this uh, with regard to some kind of mentoring Bible studies. We might say we're going to start small, do a few of those, work out the kinks, and if those go well, hopefully be able to roll that out more broadly. So we're going to take a short period of time, you know, like two months get something going, work it out, and then with a plan to roll out something more. So we're trying to do more along the scriptures we're reading here to provide context for that to happen in the life of our church. Okay, moving on. i got to be really quick here, and we're almost done. Uh, He next addresses younger men. Verse 6, urge younger men to be self-controlled. So that's a word to all the dudes in the room. Uh, Be self-controlled by the grace of God. So for the younger men, he only says one thing. Younger men, the grace of God to help you with your speech, self-controlled with your time, self-controlled in your work, self-controlled in your focus, self-controlled with your food, self-controlled with your alcohol or completely abstinent if you're underage and if you choose to drink overage, that, that that is very controlled That there is self-control with anger, that there is self-control with lust, self-control with selfish ambition, self-control with greed, self-control with on and on and on. That relates to so much of our lives. So he's saying younger men, teach the younger men to live a self-controlled life by the grace of God. Now, young men and young women in the room, I want to encourage you to find help in these areas. Here's the thing I've noticed about our church. We have a lot of seasoned men and women, and it's a, it's a gold mine. I mean, I went to the man-to-man meeting this week, and I just looked around the room, and I thought, wow, there are a lot of seasoned guys in here. When I was 25, my wife and I were 25, we had our first kid. When I was 25, we were in a church where it seemed like the oldest person was like 27. So I was like, it's just pooled ignorance. It's a lot of people who know nothing. It's the guy passing on, oh, well, here's what we learned. I got an 18 month old. You got a one month old. Here's what we know. Okay. Write a book, dude. You've got like 17 months on me and you're the most mature guy in the church. So I was in an environment where there's a lot of people that were just clueless and happy together. Clueless. Didn't know anything. This is a church where if you're in your twenties or your thirties, there are older people who are not perfect, but are available and you can get some help and some training. And here's what I'd recommend on that for the men and the women that you start, that you look for that. See, it's on the, it's on the older men and the older women. They're called by the Lord to pass on, to teach and to train, but a lot of them aren't going to approach you for whatever reason. I mean, a lot of the ladies, they're godly, older women, but if they just see, man, it looks like this lady's having a hard time. They're probably just not going to walk up and go, Hey, looks like your life's out of control and I know it all. Why don't you meet with me? An older woman. That's how they feel like it sounds. They're not going to do that. An so older man's not going to go, hey, young man, some of the guys would do this. So temperate if you would. You seem clueless. Uh, you don't know a thing. I, you know what? I used to be a jerk like you. Would you like to meet together and I can straighten you out? There's like one or two guys that would say that. So don't, older men. Uh, that's not godly. That lacks self-control. I just lack self-control. I'm one of the older men who is not dignified or self-controlled with those comments. But uh, uh, So I want to say, younger people, you press in and look for that. How do I do that? You start in your small group. God's knit you together with a group of people in a community group. And I would start there. And th- you may, there may not be an older man or an older woman that's available that has the time that lives near you. That you can access I mean, I'm not promising there's that person there, but that's where I would start. I'd say who's older and mature in the group. And I, I would get with them and just be women and men. Let's be reasonable about our expectations. Think about this training, teaching this mentoring. It can be formal. We're hoping to do some more stuff in man to man, some more stuff, in the women's ministry, some more stuff in the small groups. There may be some formality to it, but it's often organic. So don't have some expectation that I've I've got to have this formalized, lifetime discipleship mentor pour your whole life into me relationship it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a set time every week it doesn't have to have a notebook you don't have to do a discipleship project together he doesn't have to have a shirt that says discipler and you have one that says disciple that matches and you don't have to put a scrapbook together at the end of it to remember all that happened in the discipleship group Or you have it does not have to be all that it may be all of that no men should be doing scrapbooking together about their <laughs> discipleship meetings. Actually, you shouldn't have a matching shirt with a dude in the church either. That's not dignified, okay? No matching shirts. The women can do that. The women can do that. no matching scrapbooks. Here's us at Starbucks reading the Bible together. That is not that is not a doodly thing. That should not be happening in the church. <laughs> but you just start with, "Here's what you do. Man, I need to know how to be a husband. I need to know how to be a wife. I need to know how Guys, I don't know how to manage my finances. I don't know how to manage my finances." I don't know how to put the video game controller down and go do something else. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to serve in the church. I don't know how to move up and steward my gifts and my career. I, I need to learn some of these things. Or I know some of them, I just want to do them better for the glory of God. Okay, you get a notebook or your, your phone that you can thumb some notes in. You say, can we have coffee together? You come with a list of questions. You give the guy a list of questions and see what happens from there. Maybe it's a one-time meeting. Maybe that's it. Maybe I've, I've learned from a lot of different people. I haven't had one spiritual father. I've learned from a lot of different people. I got notes of learning things. So you just learn. Ladies, same thing. Hey, can I meet you for coffee and ask you some questions as a mom? Or you know what? I'm overwhelmed during my kid's nap time. Could I ask you, would you come to my house and meet with me one time? I have some questions about being a mom for you. I'm a single lady. I'd like to be married. I'm struggling with that. You're an older married woman. You were single once. Could you meet with me and help me? I'm a single guy, I'd like to get married, I'd like to meet a woman, I don't know what are the steps for that, can you help me meet with a married guy? Okay, just meet one time and trust the Lord. Maybe it turns into something very formal, and maybe you do have a regular meeting and a notebook and a project. Great! I hope that happens a lot more. This is an area in the life of our church where we want to take some ground. I don't think, and I take responsibility, I'm not talking to anybody here, I take responsibility, the other pastors probably want to share that. Uh, Pete Chagan said no, no he's not. Yeah, they, we, we as pastors take responsibility. I'm not sure this is our fastball as a church. I'm not sure that we have maximized the older pouring into, helping, mentoring the younger. I think we've got a ton of opportunity in front of us. And so we want to work on that in the coming year. And this passage is just a start. I'd like to teach this passage in more detail. You're saying you've already spoken an hour and a half. That's plenty of detail. But I'd like to do this and talk about this some more. But just to get it started today and toss that out for you. Older men. Here's what God's calling you to be. Older women, younger women learning from the younger men. And I think by implication, I mean, the younger women learning from the older women, I think by implication, the younger men learning from the older men as well. So here's your application. Pick a point. Find something we talked about today, and by the grace of God, go do it. So that means for some of you, you're going to scan your community group this week. And if there's no one there, then there's, uh, there's resources of people outside your community group. I just said I'd start there because that's a primary organic community life together. I'd start there. But if there's no one there, then, then uh, you can move out and maybe there's someone else in the church. There is someone else that could help you. So some of you, it means you're going to make a phone call. You're going to set an appointment. Uh, For some of you, young men, you're going to say, I'm identifying an area of self-control I need help in. This week, I'm going to a brother, I'm going to a small group leader, I'm going to a friend, I'm going to a pastor, and I'm going to sit down and try to get some help on uh, my struggle with lust, my struggle with pornography, my struggle with my finances, whatever it is. So maybe that's what you're going to do. You're going to make a phone call and have a meeting. Maybe some of you are going to do a study. You're going to say, okay, yeah, I I want to begin to study the topic of discipleship. We can make some recommendations for you. Maybe you're an older woman and you say, I'm going to start praying. In my community group, I'm going to pray for one younger woman every day. So every day in my prayer life, I'm going to pray for one woman in our group and see how the Lord would help me reach out and care for them. But I'm starting with a burden in prayer. Fantastic. That'd be a great application of this. Younger woman, you're just saying, hey, I want to learn how to work in my home and organize my home in a way that will show love to my husband, which is the priority, love to my children is a priority. Maybe some of you are saying, I'm wrestling with my wife or you're a lady. I'm wrestling with my work situation or I want to work outside the home or I don't want to work, I don't know. So I'm going to sit down with somebody mature and ask some questions based on the text of Scripture and say, what are the principles? And then we're going to come up with a good practice. Great. Great. So I don't know what yours is, but pick one thing and ask the Lord to help you, and uh, let's seek to apply God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your wonderful love for us, that your grace produces godliness as a witness. Your grace produces godliness so there's health in the local church. Your grace produces godliness so that older people can help younger people. Your grace produces godliness and, and, uh, so that you're changing us, Lord, we all have such a long way to go, but thank you that you're patient. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you've not called us to be alone, but you've put us in a family, a community to grow and learn. Thank you for this, Lord. And we pray we would reflect what we read here more and more, that we would be a people who, who are gripped by grace, focused more and more on Christ and his gospel, and that that produces godliness with a ripple effect throughout the church. Lord, please do that, and I pray that we could apply one thing. I pray we could all walk out of here with one thing. Lord, help us to be a hearer and a doer of the word, and I'm just asking very simply, that doing would be one thing to take the next step in reaching out to make disciples, to grow as a disciple, to mature as a disciple, to help someone, or to ask for help. Help us all in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for your patience. I, I know I went long, um, and I didn't drink too much coffee. I, I just, just, there was a lot there. So sorry. I, I, I bit off. The guys told me after the first service, I, that should have been two messages or a whole series and not one sermon. So sorry about that. We'll cover the rest of the passage on slavery and everything next week. But could I ask the small group leaders? Let's stand together. If you're a small group leader and wife, could you come down here? Or if you've prayed for someone, you've been used, you've come down here and prayed for people before. Would you come down here and let's just be available, um, you may want to come and talk about your one thing uh, and ask for prayer. This is a way we help. Help me, Lord, ask for prayer. So whatever from the sermon stuck out to you, maybe you need prayer for another area, maybe you need healing, maybe you have financial trouble, maybe you have relational trouble. You just need prayer. You need God to meet you in some way. You're depressed, you're lonely, you're hopeless, whatever. You come and we have people here who will pray for you and who will help you And uh, whether it applied to the sermon or not. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.